0: Welcome to this week's sermon audio from Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Coming up, a sermon from our series Romans, the Gospel for Sinners. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton.
1: Turn with me to Romans chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 21 through 27. This is the conclusion of our study through Paul's epistle to the Romans. And I I just want to say what a privilege it has been to preach through Romans. Uh, As I began this, I said that I... I don't feel like that I am prepared, that I'm ill-equipped to preach such a magisterial book of God's Word, and yet God has been gracious to us as a church, and I think that it's been a real blessing. I know that it's been a blessing to me personally, but as a teacher, I must say that oftentimes I think that we come to this conclusion of the book and we read it as a doxology, in which it is. But I think that we also tend to move past it and miss that Paul is teaching us, again, rich truth, even in saying goodbye. And so I want you to be mindful of that as we look at this concluding passage in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 16, verses 21 through 27. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius, and Jason, and Sosipater, my kinsman. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother, Cuardus greet you. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's go to him in prayer. Our gracious God in heaven, we confess to you that you are source of all light, and by your word you give light to the soul. We ask that you would pour out upon us a spirit of wisdom and understanding, that being taught by you in Holy Scripture, our hearts and minds may be open to know the things that pertain to life and holiness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, as we conclude uh, our study of Romans, let us give thanks. Let us give thanks to God for such a robust treatise of doctrine and Pastoral council, because we find both of them in Romans, don't we? Many of the doctrines that we hold dear as Protestants, for example, we get from Paul's letter to the church in Rome. Furthermore, through our study of this book, we've learned a lot more about the Apostle Paul, haven't we? We've learned about his calling to the Gentiles. We've learned about his love for the Jewish people. We've learned about his heart, Christ Church. But again, as I reminded you last week, I remind you again, as instrumental as Paul's ministry was, and as faithful as he was to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, he did not serve as an island unto himself. And so we see in our passage today, as we did in the passage Previous to this, in regards to his commendations to those who were working in the church in Rome, and even the members of the church in Rome, we see here the inclusion, Paul's inclusion of those who are serving with him in serving the church at large. Uh, Paul references his understudy, Timothy, as well as his fellow Jewish converts, Lucius, Jason, and Susipater, We're introduced to Paul's amanuensis, a word meaning the one who wrote down what Paul dictated, and that man's name we are given here as, uh, as Tertius, as well as Paul's host, the one that he is staying with, perhaps the host of the church in Corinth, Gaius. And finally, Paul introduces Erastus, the city treasurer. We we don't know why he introduces us to the city treasurer. Other than perhaps the local influence within Corinth, as well as Cuartus. In introducing these fellow servants, the point is not the fellow servants. The point is that God is using. Normal people, normal Christians like you and me, to serve with Paul in serving the church. And, and the church at Rome, well, they are the recipients of this service to the Lord. Paul's grateful to God for those who serve alongside him, but, and here's the key, but ultimately to God. And in reading this, I thought back to Paul's comments when he was writing to the church in Corinth. Uh, and teaching the church in Corinth about the importance of understanding those of us who serve. For example, Paul uh, references Apollos, who was a minister of the gospel, as well as Paul himself. And, And Paul reminded the Corinthians of this. He said, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each, I planted a Paul is watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And so that's the perspective that we are to have the perspective of humility and seeing how Paul approaches those who serve with him, giving glory to God. And so Paul, in a sense, is presenting in his doxological denouement, a glorifying praise to God. But as he is praising God in this and praising God for his work in the church, he is also still a teacher at heart. He is still teaching us. And in this passage today, we see that he is teaching us about how God strengthens the church. If you look at the text with me, You see that we are led in praising the only wise God to whom be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. For he is able to strengthen his church. What Paul means there is, is that God is the source of our strength. He is the one who strengthens us. But Paul elaborates In three different ways. And I ask you to look at the text with me. And you'll see here that Paul uses three different prepositional phrases. Each one of them beginning with the word according to. Look at it with me. And the question is, how does God strengthen his church? And Paul says, it is according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. That's the first prepositional phrase. Paul says, according to the revelation of the mystery, etc. That's the second prepositional phrase. And according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. And that's, that's the third prepositional phrase. And for these means of grace, we join Paul in praising God For he is the one who strengthens his church indeed. And so let us glorify God this morning by looking at each of these three ways. How does God strengthen his church? Let's start with the first one. God strengthens his church through the gospel. Paul refers to it here as My gospel, not implying that it's his version or or his variety as if there are multiple varieties of the gospel. There's not. There is only one gospel. But what Paul is saying here by my gospel is saying, I have been entrusted with this. I am, as he began this epistle, in fact, you don't need to turn there. But if you will recall, in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says that he is a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. He goes on to refer to it as the gospel of his son in specificity. And so Paul has been entrusted with this gospel. He is a servant of God. Which should lead us to ask, as we should be asking all along through Romans, so what is this gospel? The word gospel is translated literally as good news. Good news. And I would imagine that all of you know that. The gospel is good news. But the word being rich in meaning is also very simple to understand. You, as an adult, understand this truth. So also it is simple enough for a child to understand And to believe the gospel is, the good news is, that born sinners, like you, like me, evidenced through our sins of thought, word, and deed, fall far short of the glory of God. And all of us are deserving of eternal death. We receive forgiveness of our sins and eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That is the simple truth, the good news. The gospel is the good news that the Son of God was born of a virgin, lived a perfectly righteous life as an obedient man, died a sacrificial death atoning for our sin, and resurrected from the dead conquering both sin and death that's the Gospel. The Gospel is the good news that our father that what our Father Adam lost in Eden, Christ, the second Adam, redeemed on our behalf, and it is ours through faith in him. that is the gospel that's the good news of Jesus Christ and it's this good news, the Gospel of Jesus Christ that Everything that we believe is built upon. But, it's not good news apart from Jesus Christ. The gospel is not good news apart from Jesus Christ. In fact, it's bad news apart from Jesus Christ. So Paul includes this all-important addition... He refers to the gospel and. Look at the text with me. The conjunction and there, and what follows? It's the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. And that doesn't mean the sermons that Jesus preached. What it means is, is that Jesus Christ is the object of the preaching of the gospel, meaning Jesus is the essence of the gospel we preach. Think about it this way. Had Christ not come, there would be no righteous one. Had Christ not died, there would be no forgiveness of sin. Had Christ not resurrected, there would be no victory over sin, no life everlasting. In fact, there would be no hope eternal at all. If Jesus Christ is not the center of the gospel, the center of what we believe then it's not good news. In fact, it is very bad news. If your good works, if your good works define your righteous standing before God, that's not the gospel. If your sincerity to be a good person seemingly secures your status as a child of God, it's not the gospel. If your promise to to live a better life, to to do better today than you did yesterday at trying to achieve something before a holy God, maybe make a better score for eternal life. That's not the gospel. No, as Paul put it simply to the Corinthians, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And that is good news to be heard, good news to be believed, good news to be proclaimed, for faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. And so, how does God strengthen His church through this? How does God strengthen His church through the gospel? And I'm going to propose that there are two primary ways in which God strengthens His church through the gospel. Through conversion and through sanctification. Through conversion and sanctification. Think about it this way in regards to our conversion. Neither you nor I entered Christ's church by our birthright nor merit, but only by how? Only by God's grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, right? When we heard the gospel, when you heard the gospel, we might say for the first time, or we might say the first time that you actually listened and heard the gospel. The first time that we heard the gospel, the Holy Spirit is the one who opened our ears to hear the good news and changed our hearts to believe the saving truth. And Christ's church grows through believing the gospel. And as it grows, we are strengthened by God's grace with one another. But the church is also strengthened through the gospel in our sanctification. Or, uh, to, to put another way, or another way for you and I to think about it, we are strengthened through the gospel because we are prone to forget it. Fact. Fact. Your flesh delights in condemning you for your sinful thoughts, your sinful words, and your sinful deeds. Fact. Your flesh relishes in reminding you of all of the sinful things that you have ever done. Hey, I can't even remember what I had for breakfast. But my flesh can remind me of a sin I committed ten years ago. Fact, your sinful flesh will even tempt you to believe that your sin defines you. Your sin characterizes you. Your sin claims you as its slave fact, your flesh is a lying remnant of your old self to be crucified daily by the power of the Holy Spirit within you and through the conquering word of Christ it has been given to you. Your adversary, that old snake in the grass, he may hurl condemnation at you your flesh may embrace that condemnation and pile it upon you. But friends, the gospel is the great truth checker. The gospel is the ultimate fact fact checker. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Fact. This is why Paul confesses, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And it's this essential truth that we must return to every single day the side of glory. You see, John, that sounds like an exaggeration. Not exaggerating, that's how powerful your flesh, my flesh, is. People will say, Oh, the, the, the world has all these problems. I'm so concerned about the world. Oh, oh it does. Lots of problems, lots of temptations the world will present, send your way. No, no doubt about it. People will say, Oh, the devil, the devil's after me. The devil is my enemy and he's coming after me and he may lead me to do this or this. There's so much demonic activity. Well, that may be the truth too. But here's the deal, friends. Your flesh goes with you everywhere you go. So you can hide out in an enclave in the mountains and your flesh is still there. And your flesh will seek to condemn you. And that is why no matter where you go, no matter what you do, no matter who you're with, we must preach the gospel to ourselves daily. We never outgrow the gospel. We never mature beyond the good news. We never graduate from the gift of God's saving grace, but we preach it to ourselves daily. And so God strengthens His church through the gospel. The second way in which God strengthens His church is through the Word. Now, we need to remember that the gospel is included in the Word of God. God uses all of Scripture to strengthen His church. And yet, if you think about it with me, it's very easy for us to take the God's Word for granted. I mean, today we are beneficiaries of a complete and full canon of Scripture. In the history of humanity, we're in a small section that can say make that statement. That we have a full and complete canon of Scripture. Genesis through Malachi. Matthew through Revelation. But if you think about it, when Paul wrote to the church in Rome, the New Testament canon had not yet been completed, it had not yet been compiled. Their Bible consisted of the Old Testament Scriptures as well as accompanying letters as they came along from the apostles. And yet, their understanding of the Old Testament, specifically the prophetic writings as Paul refers to them here, well, their their understanding was significantly greater than than even the prophets of old. Why? Why? Because they read the Old Testament in light of the revelation of Jesus Christ. They read the Old Testament in light of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul refers to this as the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed. That which was veiled before Christ is revealed in Christ. Now, I want to engage your imagination just for a minute. Think with me, or do this favor for me. I want you to imagine that you've never heard of Jesus, I want you to imagine that you know nothing about his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. Just for a moment, imagine that you know nothing. And imagine that you are given a copy of Isaiah's chapter 53. Chapter 53. And you read this. You read about a man who, uh, as one who was despised and rejected by men. "...a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief." And you may think to yourself, but this is sad. This is a suffering man. This is a tragedy. Who is this man? And then you read a little bit more, and you learn that he is the one who has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, one stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. You read a little bit further, and you find out these gruesome details... That he is the one pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. And then you read this startling statement. He is also the one through whom, or through his wounds, we are healed. You ask yourself, who is this man? Who is the one who has atoned for our sins? Who is this suffering servant that... Isaiah describes the prophets wondered. We do not. We do not wonder. We know precisely who Isaiah's suffering servant is because the mystery has been revealed. The New Testament provides full disclosure. Jesus is the Lord. And Christ. He is the fulfillment of the promise God made to Abraham. He is the fulfillment of the law given to Moses. He is the fulfillment of the covenant that God made to King David. As Paul told the church at Corinth. For no matter how many promises God has made. They are yes in Christ which is revealed through God's Word. So how then does God strengthen His church through the Word? Well, first, we are strengthened through it because it is, as Paul wrote to Timothy, it is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Think about that. In teaching us, we do not wonder what God would say. Uh, I just just wonder if there's a God out there. And if there is, I I wonder if He might ever speak to us. (laughs) There is a God and He is not silent. He has spoken to us. In reproving us, we don't question what God might reveal to us. Oh, there's so many secret things about God. God has revealed to you, God has revealed to me, He has revealed to to us everything He wants us to know in this moment. And He's given it to us in a full and complete canon of Scripture. In correcting us, in training us in righteousness. We do not pit Scripture against Scripture. As if there's some sort of war between the New Testament and the Old Testament. I had a friend t- one time say to me, oh, well, you know, I, I really like the New Testament and-, and Jesus. I like Jesus a lot. That Old Testament God, well, whew, I'm not sure I like him very much. <laughs> I- I'm like, hmm, well, you know, you, you-, you have Jesus because of The judgment of God. And and sometimes I, I, I want to say to folks is, you know, you're halfway there. You're halfway to the gospel when you think that way. But you're a million miles away. Because he who we read about in the Old Testament is pointing us to he who we know in the New Testament And so we don't pit Scripture against Scripture. I mean, there is a reason why Isaiah is the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. Because Christ, who was once hidden in Isaiah, is there for all to see. How do we see him? We see him through the revelation of Christ, or through the lens of Christ's revelation. And so we interpret Scripture with Scripture reading the Old Testament through the New. And through God's breathed out Word then, we as a church are strengthened. When we open our Bibles and read and are strengthened through the Word of God, we are strengthened, as Scripture refers to it, by the Word of life. We hear the Word preached, and the Holy Spirit refreshes, melts, convicts, comforts. We neglect the word at our peril, study it to our benefit, ignore it in our stupidity, meditate upon it to our blessing. So may we be strengthened praying as one of the Puritan pastors prayed, bless to my soul all grains of truth garnered from thy word. May they take deep root be refreshed by heavenly dew, be ripened by heavenly rays, be harvest to my joy and thy praise. Help me to gain profit by what I read as treasure beyond all treasure, a fountain which can replenish my dry heart, its waters flowing through me as a perennial river drawn by thy Holy Spirit. So we pray. So God does. God strengthens His church through His Word. The third area that Paul points to and how God strengthens His church is God strengthens His church through the obedience of faith. It's an expression that Paul used at the very beginning. Chapter 1, he uses again here at the conclusion. It is the obedience of To believe the gospel as well as to live the gospel. It is the obedience to believe the gospel as well as to live the gospel. Or as one commentator describes it. Obedience always involves faith. And faith always involves obedience. He who enabled and empowers us. To believe, so also enables and empowers us to live obedient lives. We shall not be defined by sin and the decay of death, but life through faith in God. May we be rich in faith. Be strong in faith. Live by faith. Walk by faith. Experience the joy of faith. Do the work of faith. Hope through faith. And so God strengthens His church through the obedience of faith. And and all of this is according to the command or as Paul describes it in Ephesians chapter 3, the purpose, the sovereign purpose of God who is calling a people. Paul references here the nation's which is also translated as the Gentiles. In other words, God is calling a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation unto Himself. And in His perfect wisdom, God only wise is building us into the household of God. A spiritual house, a temple of God in whom His Spirit dwells. And He strengthens us for our good and His glory through wisdom Himself, Jesus Christ. May God be glorified in His church through the gospel, through the word, and through the obedience of faith. According to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel that we have believed. We thank you how your word teaches and trains us and equips us, and leads us. We thank you that you call us to live out our faith. Gospel-centered living that you enable in us through your Spirit, and we pray that we would be a faithful church. Oh God, strengthen us as a church through your means of grace. May you be glorified in your church, both now and forevermore. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 1030 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org.